You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Good morning. If you have your Bible this morning, and I hope you do, or advice to to have the Bible on it, that's great too. So if you have your Bible, Mark chapter, excuse me, Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 through verse 42 will be our focus today. One of the benefits of teaching and working our way through a particular section of scripture like the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we begin to experience sections of scripture we probably normally wouldn't look at or teach. That's really, that's good, church. I probably wouldn't have selected this passage to teach if I was just going to teach something from the Bible. I don't say it in a bad way, but it's a good way in the church that we just move our way through a section of scripture. And I believe that God has these sections of scripture obviously for us, amen, to learn and to listen and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our focus today is on Matthew 10, and Matthew 10 defines the, the marks of a disciple. What does a disciple look like? Uh, we, as a Christ follower, we are known as disciples. It's been said that a disciple is someone who follows the teachings of another, a follower or a learner. Applied to Jesus, a disciple is someone who loves, learns, and lives like him. I think it's a great definition of what it means to be a Christ follower and to be a disciple. Dale Loesch is a, uh, the president of Cross World Missions here right in Kansas City up on North, North Oak. He put it this way in his book. He said, a disciple is one who is learning to live and love like Jesus and helps others to do the same. I think that's a great statement. A disciple is one who is learning to live and love like Jesus and helps others to do the same. We are in that process, aren't we, church family, of, of learning. In fact, the, the older I get, the more I learn and read the Bible, the more I learn how much I, I don't know. It's just, it's just the Word of God is, uh, is amazing how it teaches us and it grows us. And this particular section is going to be a great section for us uh, to look at what it means for us to follow Christ and be his disciple. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 puts it this way. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth of the world. To be a disciple is a great gift. And so I'm hoping today as we look at this passage that we'll, we'll grow in our discipleship, amen, that we'll grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission at Antioch is leading generations to make disciples of Jesus Christ everywhere. And so by God's grace, may all of us, we all have different personalities, we live in different locations, all those kind of things, but God says as a church family, let's lead generations to make disciples of Jesus Christ everywhere. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 10, uh, we'll read the text and then by God's grace, we'll navigate and work our way through this, this passage. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, the words of Jesus. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. 
What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But before, or but whoever denies or disowns me before men, I will deny or disown before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to act or set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is righteous, a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this section in Matthew's gospel Give us your leadership as we navigate through this passage. Uh, give us ears to hear and, and hearts to obey. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. We thank you for the privilege today of spending time in your word. And so teach us, we pray. I thank you for each person that's here. God, use your word today to change my life, to change our lives. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. And we commit our moments to you, we pray in Jesus' name. And together, church, we said, amen. amen. We're going to look at three marks of a disciple. A disciple, first of all, represents the gospel. A disciple submits to authority. And a disciple follows Jesus. Look here in this first section of chapter 10, verse 26 and 31. It's important to notice this phrase that he gives us here in the opening verse. So have no fear of them. So I saw that passage. My question is, who is the them? Right? And the them is over here in chapter 10, verse 16. Steve was here last week. He said, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in synagogues. So Jesus is saying, he's saying, don't be fear of these people who can flog you. Are you with me, church? And put you in synagogues. Don't, be, don't fear them. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake 
to bear witness of them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. So as we open this section up in verse 26, so have no fear of them. He says, have no fear of those who can throw you into a synagogue. Those, have no fear of those who can take your life. Right? Don't, don't fear that. If you're going to fear somebody, fear God. And the fear of God is not this, oh, God's going to strike me. The fear of God is the awesomeness of God, the greatness of God, the goodness of God. So a disciple in this section represents the gospel. These were the enemies of the gospel in this passage I read a moment ago. These men who will turn you over to courts and flog you in synagogues and drag you before governors for my sake. Jesus promised his persecuted followers that the truth of their sacrifice for the sake of the gospel would not be in vain. It would not be in loss. Even though many lives were taken, there was, there was persecution, all these things. But he says the gospel, isn't that good church? No, the gospel will never be in vain. The gospel is a living document. And so our task based on this passage is not to please people, but in essence, in essence is to proclaim God's message. The gospel is the good news. Uh, the gospel is the euangelion. It's the best news possible. The best news possible. In that first century, this was not a, a, a biblical term at that time. It was just a term, euangelion, the, go, the gospel. And so that the, uh, the, the governor or the leader of a, a country would speak something. He would say, and do something like to take over a nation or whatever. They would say, that's the euangelion. It's the best news possible. And they would have people that would give words and send words back and just heart, heart heralds and just say, here's what happened in this particular area of the nation and of the world. So that euangelion was a word used in a secular term and now it's used in a word that God's given to us in the gospel. It is church. And we never graduate from the gospel, amen? The, the gospel, we never graduate from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 27, he's saying, whatever I tell you in the dark represents this. Whatever I tell you privately Speak in the light publicly. And whatever you hear whispered in the ear, proclaim or preach on the housetops. So he's saying, be bold, all right? Be bold. Now we're all wired differently. We all have different personalities. There are some perhaps in this room and watching who are bolder than others. But I, as I see this passage, I need to be growing in my boldness. Not, you know, not just boldness to just speak into somebody's life about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That phrase to proclaim from the housetops is an expression of announcing a, a message publicly. And, and in those days, uh, they, they had houses that were pretty much flat on top. And they would be able to sit up there. Sometimes they could get up through the house or outside and get up there and they could see and there'd be cool breezes. So the idea is that, man, get up on that rooftop. So climb up on your roof today. And the idea was just proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's encouraging them, even though there's going to be persecution and trouble and difficulties, don't forget to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's challenging, in essence, his disciples to go public. That by the grace of God, we would go public and not be secret disciples. Again, we're all wired differently. I'm, I'm convicted by this passage to be bolder, to speak of not, not harsh or, or heavy or hurtful, but to be bold with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a good word for us, church. He's challenging to go public. People may not, may not understand the gospel message, 
but they need to hear the gospel message and God has given us the privilege of communicating the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the good news. And so he's challenging his disciples and, and you and I to declare the gospel with boldness. The word boldness is a word that means outspoken or courage or confidence or to act. That God would give me, God would give us as a church family greater boldness, not harshness, not, not mean, but just boldness to just speak about Jesus. Amen, church? Amen. Have you been there before where you just, you know, you wanted to say something? You've been in a conversation and, and you know you want to say something, you should say something, and, and you don't. Right? So this is a good reminder for us in this passage that by the grace of God, we would grow in our, in our boldness. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it puts it this way. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Isn't that a great statement? You know, they weren't, they weren't very smart people. They weren't trained in the scriptures. But I'm telling you what, they were people that you knew they had been with Jesus. And I like this. They were in the council. They were amazed at the boldness of them. And in that first century, many of them lost their lives for the cause of Jesus Christ, imprisoned. But yet they were bold. They were bold. It's a good call for us of boldness. Pastor Craig Rochelle puts it this way. He defines boldness. Boldness is behavior born out of belief. Boldness is behavior born out of belief. In verse 28, he says, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of those who can destroy the body and soul in hell. And so he's just saying, don't let persecution derail you. Stay faithful to the gospel. He's making the point that God is the one we should fear. We shouldn't be fearing other people. And we, I, I can become fearful of other people. What do they think about me? What are they going to say about me? And God is saying, don't be fearful. Don't be fearful. Don't be a coward before God. As I worked through this passage and read different sections of scripture and read different books about this, one, one person said, don't be a coward before God because being a coward before God can have eternal consequences. Have you been there before where you said, I should have said something and I didn't say something and you never get a chance again to say that something? All right. this, is, this is good for us, church. It's, it's good for us to feel the weight of this. I'm not trying to be like this. It's about like this, amen? We're all in this together that how can we grow in our boldness of representing Jesus Christ and the gospel? He says in 28, and do not fear those who hear the body, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's talking about God has the ultimate. He says, don't, don't, you know, rather fear him, God, who can destroy both soul and body in, in hell. The word hell there is the, the word Gehenna. Gehenna was a valley in Jerusalem that was a valley that was a, a, a dump. And they would, they would burn and, and rubbish and trash constantly burning. And that word there, hell, Gehenna, is a symbol authority, a symbol term I'm really speaking of the final judgment, all right? Hell is a final judgment of those who do not receive Jesus Christ. 
And then in verse 29 and 31, he uses an illustration. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And one of them will fall to the ground apart from your, and, and no one will fall from the, to the ground apart from your father's will. Uh, sparrows, it is said in that section of scripture in that time was uh, the cheapest, you could, the cheapest thing sold in a, in, a, in, a, in a market. The penny refers to just a small Roman copper worth less than hardly anything. And the point is that if God cares about the lesser things, which are sparrows, how much more does God care about the greater things which represent people? Right? That God wants us to represent people. You see, to God, thank God, we are the greater value than many sparrows. Isn't that encouraging today that you're more valuable than a sparrow? Right? We, sparrows, we don't even think much about sparrows flying around. Don't think any of them. And so if God cares for the sparrows, and he does, think how much he cares for you and cares for me in this whole process of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 30, but even the hairs on your head are numbered. Meaning that God has absolute, total knowledge of every detail of your life. Every detail of your life. And he uses this illustration about the hairs of your head are numbered. I did some research this last week. According to Harvard University, the average numbers on the head of an individual is between 90,000 and 150,000. So I counted them this, okay, so I'm looking around here. Some people I see maybe not even 90 could do it. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Neil, that's not gonna happen, man. But, isn't it, but the, the point of that is he knows, right? He, he knows. If he knows the hairs on my head, he, he knows the need in my life. He needs a need in your life. What a good God we serve, amen, church? What a gracious, good God we serve. If God controls the smallest sparrow on the ground, he's more than able to direct our steps in the challenge of the mission of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knows every detail of your life. And he's concerned about the details of our life. We're all wired differently. We all have different personalities. But God is using us to make a difference in the lives of others. Like Psalm 139, 2 puts it this way. God said, you know when I sit down and when I get up, you know my thoughts from afar. Man, God just knows who we are, knows all about us. And so in verse 31, he goes back to the illustration. and says, fear not, therefore, you are of more value than the sparrows. So he goes back there again, kind of repeats that again. And again, if God cares about the lesser things like sparrows, how much more does he care about the greater things which are people? So he's teaching us in this passage about boldness, that, that, that we represent the gospel, that by God's grace, we represent the gospel well, the good news of the gospel. Secondly, a disciple submits to authority. In verse 10, chapter 10 here, in verse 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge them before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me or disowns me before men, this is a strong word here, term here, whoever denies me or, or disowns me before men, I will deny or disown before my Father who is in heaven. So he's saying, I'm the authority. I'm asking you to submit to my authority. A disciple is one who is called 
to confess Jesus publicly. Right. Now think about that church. That, that's, a, that's a big assignment, isn't it? Publicly, personally, the neighbors that we have, the, the, the work environment, the, the people that we, we meet and we know that, and I'd say as I teach this passage, I'm way over my level on this. This is convicting to me to be bolder with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to go public. Every person Jesus called to be a disciple, he called not to be private, he called to be public. And too often, we have a lot of secret Christians, amen? A lot of people that, and have you ever been to somebody talking about something, they'll finally say, yeah, I've been a Christian. You've been talking to them about things, and all of a sudden they say, yeah, I've been a Christian. And you know, people would never know they were a Christian by their lifestyle, what they did, not being judgmental, but they would, it was just that our, our lives would be different. We're different. And the question today with this would be, does your life and does my life give evidence of being a Christ follower? Where in my life do I need to become bolder that I won't be a silent Christian? In that verse 33, he makes that convicting statement, whoever denies me, that's heavy. Are we, in essence, when we don't speak out the gospel, are we denying Jesus? And that's heavy, isn't it, church? Are we denying him? Are we disowning him? Right? He's not saying that when you deny him, we, we, we somehow lose our salvation. That's what he's not he's saying. Denial means that we are not confessing. We're not con- communicating. He's conveying, the, in essence, the shame and apathy of my life and our lives as a Christ follower who, who doesn't communicate or speak the gospel. Paul put it well in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? for it is the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, that God would give us boldness not to be ashamed of the gospel. That's heavy, isn't it, church? To, to feel like I, there's times, many times in my life when I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel, but I am ashamed of the gospel. Have you been there in those situations where you just were having a conversation and it began just to open up, and then you just, you just didn't step into it. Anybody ever experienced that kind of a thing? Maybe you have. We've just been having a conversation, and, you, and it was just right there, and you just didn't say it, right? Didn't say it. So I'm not today trying to be a, a Debbie Downer and this, this. I'm just saying by, by the grace of God to be confident that God will use your personality, your story, to make a difference in the lives of others. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 11 through 13, Paul writes, This saying is so trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Again, not losing salvation, but that's a heavy... But Paul just lays it out there. This is a, a saying that's trustworthy. For if we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Thank God, amen, when I'm faithful and you are unfaithful in advancing the gospel, that God is faithful, right? That God is faithful in our lives. So a disciple represents Jesus, represents the gospel. A disciple submits to Jesus, 
And then a disciple follows Jesus in verse 34 through verse 42. We'll pick it up here in verse 34. He said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come to bring peace. Excuse me, I have not come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. I've come to bring a sword. The word sword here uh, is a term that uh, is a reminder not of taking a sword to kill someone, but it represents disciples in essence. He says, are, are you, we ought to be going to war. That's kind of the idea of this sword, going to war. Take up swords, he's saying, against those who are persecutors. All right, take, take up your sword. And so this word sword then is rather a, not a literal sword to kill somebody. It's a metaphor. It's a symbol of conflict and division between those who believe Jesus and those who don't believe Jesus, right? Don't believe Jesus. In verse 35, the dividing line between those who accept Jesus and those who reject him would even affect families. In verse 35, for I've come to set man against father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So he's just saying, I'm, it's about the gospel, all right? And it, it may offend somebody. It may offend one of your neighbors. It may offend one of your family members, right? Even families. It was probably about 20 years ago, we had a young lady who was invited by another young lady at our church uh, to Antioch uh, to come to worship here. And she had come for a number of weeks and there was a time that she put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it was just a sweet lady, probably about 21, 22 years old, and uh, came to Christ and then wanted to be baptized. And so we said, yeah, we'd love to be able to baptize you. And so she wanted to talk to her parents about baptism. And as she was visiting with her parents about baptism, they said this to her, that if you get baptized, we will disown you, disown you. She was part of a family dynamic who, again, didn't believe in Jesus, had other different beliefs. And then they told her, if you get baptized, and she told me this personally, you know, we will disown you. And so I had, we had these conversations. I said, what are you going to, how's it going to feel? How are you going to work this out? What's going to happen? She said, I've, I've, I've got to get baptized. I, I want to be baptized. And so she, she was baptized here at Antioch. And then was part of our church family. Her parents did disown her. She moved out to California, came back a few years after that. I said, how's things going with you and your family? She said, my family still disowns me because I'm a follower of Christ. I, as I thought about that, we don't think about that much in our culture, but there's just the weight of that. And so you just feel the weight of what's happening here, this dividing line between those who accept Jesus and those who deny Jesus. It even has a big effect on, on families. You may experience that maybe in family dynamics and, and family get-togethers where some are unbelievers and some are believers and the, sometimes the tension of that, the, the challenges of that, all right? It's, it's, a, it's a difficult situation. It's challenging. And so in verse 36, Jesus and a person's enemies can even be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. These, these are heavy statements that he's making. It's not that we're to, to hate our family. The point is, it's, it's Jesus first. And when Jesus Christ is first, really church, when he's first, everything else comes in, in place. It really does. If we put him first, everything else comes in place. 
and you feel the weight of that. The ultimate love as a Christ follower, he is saying, trumps your family over Jesus. Right? That's, that's heavy. It's, it's what Jesus is saying. Now, again, these statements aren't meant to disown or reject your family, but rather to embrace the priority of your relationship with Jesus Christ. It represents our relationship and priority of Jesus Christ. And the point is here is that Jesus is clarifying that a disciple must love and follow Jesus with a supreme love. Again, church, this is a convicting passage, amen? This is a convicting passage, how we live out our faith, live out our faith. As I looked at this passage, I began to think about this process of families and how they can work against together. Here, here's a thought that came to my mind that we should, we should expect that normally following Jesus, I believe, makes us a better husband. That makes us a better wife, mother, son, or daughter. I think when we live for Jesus, we can actually have a better life. We can have a better family. A better family. Jesus is saying that our love for him should take precedence over everybody else and every other thing. This is, this is a challenging passage he's given to his followers and he's given to us today in this moment. Verse 38, those who do not take up his cross and follow me, he says, are not worthy of me. The cross represents a symbol of death. To take up a cross, he's saying not take up a literal cross, it's a metaphor meant to take up God's will for one's life. In the same way that the way, way the cross was the Father's will for the Son's life. That God's will for our life is to take up his cross and to follow him. To be faithful, to follow Jesus. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 puts it this way. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Let him say no to himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? These are heavy words that Jesus gives to us, aren't they, church? They're convicting words that Jesus gives to us in this passage of Matthew's gospel. So what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? You may know the name David Platt has a, really a heart for missions and a heart for the following of Christ. He says this, that the call to Jesus or the call to follow Jesus is a call to forsake everyone and everything other than him. It is a call to radical abandonment. That's a heavy statement, isn't it, church? Right? It's a call to forsake everyone and everything other than him. Again, in verse 39, these are weighty words, weighty words. Earthly life is temporary, he's saying, and those who hold on to it are holding something they can never, ever possibly keep. So he's reminding us of this eternal value that we, that we have to God that wants to use our lives to make a difference in the lives of others. And so he's saying when it comes to the cross, there are two alternatives. Spare your life or sacrifice your life. Right? 
Spare your life or sacrifice your life. And in this passage, church, we are called to center our lives on Jesus Christ. Center our lives on Christ. And this should be our prayer. Because I'm, I'm, I would just say that I'm, I'm not fully there yet, man. I'm not there yet. So here's a, here's a prayer for us. Our prayer should be, Father, help us follow you. Give us minds and hearts that are centered on you. We can't do this on our own, church family. Amen. We can't, we can't do this on our own. We, we need God in our life and helping us. Have this prayer, God, just help us to be able to follow you and, and give our minds and hearts to serve you and center our lives on you. In verses 40 through 42, he talks about the promise of those who await and follow him. Everyone who wants to follow him. In verse 10, we'll pick it up here. Whoever receives you, speaking of a disciple, receives me, Jesus. And whoever receives me, Jesus, receives him, God, who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little, little ones, and the little ones there represents disciples. In Essence Church, we are little ones. So he's talking about his 12 disciples. Everyone who gives these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Lose his word. In the context, that phrase in verse 40, to receive is to receive the gospel. To receive the good news of the kingdom of God and then live under, by God's grace, the authority of his God, of our God. You go back to Matthew chapter 5 for a moment. We were here a number of weeks ago in Matthew chapter 5. In verse 3 and 12, there are bookends on the authority of Jesus and his kingdom. For example, in chapter 5, verse 3 in Matthew, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who also persecuted you. He goes back up here in verse, uh, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for their sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So bookends on the Beatitudes are this picture of we're part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God divine, de defines the rule of God, the authority of God in the hearts of believers. And it represents what we can't do, but what God can do through us. The kingdom of heaven comes by hearing, he says. So be careful how you hear and how you're hearing. We're called to follow Christ and to obey his will. A prophet in this passage represents one who represents Jesus, one who speaks on behalf of Jesus. In essence, we are prophets. We, we, are, we are given the privilege of speaking on behalf of God to others who need Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul puts it this way, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
we are, we are ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who represents a different country that, they, that they're serving in. And this, this world is not our home, amen, church? And this is a passage that's a heavy passage. Thank you, Steve, for letting me preach this passage, all right? So I, I, Steve owes me one, all right? But I'm just saying, this is convicting. This is working through here, but we're, we're ambassadors. God has called us to be disciples. God has called us to live out our faith. I love that verse 42, these little ones, the little kids, he's talking about his disciples in a very neat and really neat way. He's saying these little ones who, maybe, who may seem insignificant and unimportant. And you may seem insignificant and unimportant and just not unable to do whatever, anything you can do to make a difference for the cause of others. But Jesus is saying that even a minimal act of kindness like a cup of cold water, will not go unknowledged and unrewarded. He's making the point that service done to any of his disciples will be rewarded. Your life does not go unnoticed or unrewarded by God, church. He knows who you are. He made you. He knows where you live, what you do, what you need to do. I love that we are little ones. We are his disciples. And he is a God who is faithful in our lives to use our lives to make a difference in the lives of others. So by God's grace as disciples, we are called to faithfully follow Jesus and obey him. The need is great for faithful disciples. We live today in a country, in a nation that needs Jesus, that needs Jesus. And how can God use our lives? Not with hatred, not with this, it's about, about this. How can God use your life and my life to make a difference in the lives of others? That we would learn and live for Jesus. Let me give you a couple of application questions and we'll, we'll pray together. I just put these questions for me that just have hit my heart. Do you represent the gospel? For me, it's, Bob, do you represent the gospel well? I feel like I can engage with people. I can be a friendly person, you know, but sometimes that just that next step, and you've been there, haven't you, when the door's wide open and you just haven't stepped into it. Prayer, say, God, would you give me opportunities? I, I think we need to lead in prayer, church. Right? God, you know my neighbor. Call them by name. Would you give me opportunities for my neighbor? Would you give me opportunities for people I work in? The so I would just say, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray that God would work and call them by name and then by God's grace to step into their life and see how God can use your life to make a difference in their life. Do you submit to authority? Do we submit to the authority of God's word? Is it going to be my way or the highway? Submission is a big part of this process of discipleship. And then do you pursue Jesus? As a Christ follower, are we, are we pursuing him? Are we, are we living for him? Are we growing in Christ? Are we growing in our relationship with him? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 through 42 a heavy, convicting passage. I feel like I'm teaching above my level of living this out. I'm convicted by that. I thank you for the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, that God, you would use my life to make a difference in the lives of my neighbors and the people that I interact with. I think it's good for us to feel the weight of this, 
to realize that, God, we can't do this on our own, but that we need you working through us, that, God, you would give us a, a, a greater depth of, of serving, that you would give us and convict us of the need of, of just representing you well with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we pray for our neighbors. We, we pray for those in our work environment, that, God, you would open up opportunities that we would be your ambassadors and represent you well. So God, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you that when we are unfaithful, you, you are faithful. Again, that's not an excuse, but yet thank you, God, that when we don't get it right, that you're with us. Thank you for the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for each person in these seats today, those watching online, that they'll be encouraged by this to just say, here's my personality. Here's how you're at work in my heart and life and how, the, how God can you use my life to make a difference in the lives of others for the sake of the gospel. And so we commit all this to we pray in the name of Jesus and together church we said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to antiochbbc.org. That's Antioch, BBC. Dot org. God's best to you.